All right, so family, visitors, friends, we are working our way through the gospel according to Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke's gospel, and we have, we have gotten almost through six chapters, and the part we are in now is where Jesus does what we're going to call the sermon on the... Ah, see, everybody's like, you got us once, we're not going to hear, here's the deal. So, in Matthew, there is the Sermon on the Mount. It is literally almost three pages of red letters where Jesus preaches his most profound, his longest, and basically his first whole sermon. He, he does preach and stand up and teach before that, but that's kind of his first and his major sermon, all right? Well, in Luke, he does that, all right? But then we, he walks down and, and they says, and Jesus began to speak on the flat, low lands, okay? So some scholars call it the Sermon on the Plain, all right? Because he's no longer on the Mount. So the question then becomes, do we have the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain? Or do we have the Sermon on the Mount that was told, but this guy just says it as if maybe Jesus was on the mountainside and the people were on the plain? Or did Jesus actually preach the same sermon twice? But as you know, if I preach a sermon at 9, then I preach it again at 11, they're going to have very similar topics and very similar things, but they are not going to come across the same way. I believe that's kind of what happened. Jesus preached on the Mount to a group of people. He moved down onto the plain, did some healing, did some teaching, more people gathered and he preached the sermon again abbreviated revised whatever did that happen i don't know is that what i believe yes is that going to keep anybody in or out of the kingdom no let's proceed here's where we are this is how he finishes up the sermon all right so this is when god says i have spoken to you about your attitude how your attitude should be we call them the be attitudes i have talked to you about authority. I have talked to you about the kingdom versus the earth. I've spoken to you about the difference in how you see the world and how I, God, sees the world. I've talked to you about how people who've been really changed ought to believe. I've talked to you about judging one another, looking at that speck when that plank is sticking out there, all right? We've spoken about all these things, and that's where we stopped. So here's what's happening now. Jesus, if, if, if he weren't King James's, all right, if we weren't talking about Greek or Hebrew, here's what Jesus would say right before he finished. Guys, I've talked to you for the last hour, hour and a half, teaching you all good things that you should remember. But if I could sum it up for you, if I could wrap a bow around this thing for you and hand it off, it would sound something like this. So this is where you lean in. All right. Whether I missed everything else, I can take this six verses and I'm going to know what he said. So you're all here at a good time, right? All right. So here's what Jesus decided to close out, to finish his sermon with. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. I, I would have loved it if he'd have just gone, that's what I got. Because there would have been a lot there and we would have been like, oh, yeah. Okay, so a lot of people are saying that, right? Uh, yeah, all right. And he goes even further. Each tree is recognized by its fruit. So with this sentence, we're taking out not just good and bad, but we're talking about the specificity of fruit versus other things. And he says, you don't pick figs from thorn bushes. You don't pick grapes from briars. A good man, he goes a little deeper, brings good things, he goes a little deeper, out of the good, he goes a little deeper, stored in his heart. All of those are important in this progression. We're going to look at it. And the evil man, 
brings up evil things. And right then, everybody in the service is going, out of the evil things in his heart, because we're catching on to his logic pattern. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You've probably heard it quoted like this. Out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That would be our friend, King Jim, okay? That's what, that's what that is. Out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaketh. All right, so let us go back and begin to break this down, and then we're going to bounce around. You know, a lot of times we tell stories or we use history or something to, to accentuate a point, all right? But what we're going to do today is we're going to just bounce Scripture. This is all going to be scripture because if you recognize what Jesus is doing here, he's not just driving home the point to his sermon. When you look around the whole of the New Testament, you find a theme that is absolutely overwhelming that we need to, that we know, we know, everybody in here knows it, but we need to grab hold of more powerfully. We need to sink our teeth into it and go, I'm not just going to talk about it, I'm going to walk it out, all right? No good tree bears bad fruit. Duh. All right? The root defines the fruit, and the fruit speaks of the root. All right? You do not plant something that is diseased and dying and get something healthy and blossomful. That doesn't occur. You do not plant something good and healthy and get something diseased and terrible. I did not just say that there are not extraneous circumstances that come into and affect things, but Jesus deals with that after a while. Good trees, good fruit, bad trees, bad fruit. How much further does it go? Each tree is recognized by its fruit, all right? You reap, what's the Bible say? What you sow. There is nobody in this room, nobody, I don't think there's anybody in this room who goes to Lowe's over the last week or the next couple of weeks and buys up better boy tomatoes and some, some, some mammoth jalapenos, all right, and some yellow onions because they are going to make some yummy salsa. There's nobody who goes and buys those three things, puts them in the ground, uh, hose the land, hoses down the land, lets the sun shine down, runs out in three months to pick pears, picostomuses, and prunes. Nobody does that. That's a fish. It's not a fruit. It's what came out. But I, I said, I guarantee nobody goes out looking for those things. Did I not? You don't do that. You don't plant pears and then run out and be angered that your tree is growing bananas. Banana, nana, nana, if you're a minion, okay? You don't do that. That is, that is, that is insane, all right? You don't plant a peach tree and then run outside and send your children out to get cherries off of it. It confuses everyone, yet we as believers do the same thing. We decide that we're going to watch movies that fill us with things that aren't of God. We're going to listen to music that fill us with things that aren't of God. We're going to hang out with people who fill us with things that aren't of God. And then we come into church going, ah, see the fruit in me. Well, we do. The problem becomes you don't want to hear about us describing your fruit. You want us to say, look at all of the holiness that emanates from them. The problem is you don't get figs from thorns. Are you calling me a thorn? Uh, the shoe fits. I mean, the root makes the fruit. 
What goes in is what comes out. That's why Jesus says, if you're mad about what the fruit is, let's think about where the root is. A good man brings good things. I like it. Let's stop there. No. Out of the good stored up in his heart. If you got good in your heart coming in, then you will have good coming out. If you have evil, if you have sexuality, if you have all about finances, if you have all about self, if you have greed, if you have pride filling you Monday through Friday, you are not going to emanate love, joy, peace, and patience on Sunday. Ain't gonna happen, Captain. The root determines the fruit. But the fruit identifies the root. You say, yeah, that's all you're going to say. We talk a lot about this, all right? I am loving the crowd today. I am. I'm loving the crowd we had this morning. I was loving where we were before the Rona. I'm going, I have a ton of hope about where we're going to be post-Rona, all right? But that's a, that, that's a thing. Everybody, everybody here knew what I said just now, all of y'all. Word or not, you knew. It's not some, something by Chef Boyardee either. All right, post-Rona. All right, so... Listen, if, if you continue to take in, you continue to put out, and people who come through NBC, we're very clear. We're all about time, talent, and tithe, right? Time, talent, and tithe. We want you to give and we want you to serve. We want you to know what we expect of you before you sign on with us. We're just clear about it. We'll love on you if you want to stay a guest for years. We will love on you, all right? But you ain't a member. And when you are a member, you have said, I am in this thing for you to help make me better and me to help make you better. Here's the problem. When you start making people better, you start going, that's a thorn. People, people be thinking they roses. And the minute you do that, people are like, could I have my covenant back? Listen, it's a tr this is a true story. There is a reason we're not running three or 400 people already. And I've had to come to grips with it. I could pre preach sunshine and sweet baby Jesus. I can. I can turn a phrase and tell a story. I can. I can make it comedy central every Sunday morning. I can. But at the end of the day, that grows numbers. It doesn't grow disciples. At the end of the day, that grows fun and games. It does not grow Christians, believers, disciples of Christ, which we're called to make. And most people think they want to be disciples. They do not count the cost of being one. And fruit identification is one of the most painful processes of the gospel. Let me give you two examples that have to do with trees and fruit and the heart. Here's number one. Talking about the heart, you're like, what does this have to do with the heart? Well, I'm about to tell you. If you knew Greek, you'd already know. But since you don't, that's what I'm sitting on a stool for. All right, here we go. This line is at the end of a story where a man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I, I need you to play arbiter. I need you to be a judge. I need you to be an attorney. I want you to divide the stuff up between me and my brother. And Jesus says, wait, 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 man, that ain't, that ain't my job. I'm, I'm here to preach. I'm not going to play politics right now. And the guy says, well, isn't that, isn't that what you do? And Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. Let's get clear what I do. 
all right? And he tells a story, and we've, we reference this a lot. He tells a story about the man who, who had a huge harvest. And instead of sharing and blessing everyone with his harvest, he said, well, I'm out of space, so I'm going to build another barn. And I'm out of space again, so I'm going to build another barn. And I'm out of space again, and I'm going to build another barn. And that goes against everything that the Jews believed, everything that Jesus wanted to teach. He said, and if you're that selfish and if you're that self-centered, then here's what's going to happen. God said to him, you fool. Now, let me just tell you something. If the Bible were in today, the word fool would be a curse word. Let me say it again. If the Bible were here today, the word fool would be a curse word. The word here in Greek is aphron, okay? Two parts, a and phronai, okay? Aphron. A is the negating pronoun. It, it negates part of the word, prefix, sorry, not pronoun, the negating prefix. So it makes it not or the opposite of. And phronai is... Um, the center of a person, the, the heart of a man, the soul, the, the, the intricate details of the inner workings of who you are. So when Jesus looks at, his, at this man, what he says is, this thing you're doing, you are heartless. You are without a soul, Aphron, without a center. That's why it was not common for Jesus to use this word. It was a horrible insult. But he said, you are without a center, you have nothing about you that is holy, righteous, giving, loving. Everything is about me and taking. And you're building idols. Did you hear me? The barns, that's what they are. They're idols to his own success. Right? Trophies. I want to store up. That grain's not going to last. It's a trophy. It's a look how good a producer I am. And Jesus says that without a center, heartless. You are soulless. Wow. I, I mean, I wish I could tell you it, it gets easier, but let's look at this. This is also in Luke, so I'm not going to preach this hard because I'm going to end up there in, in six chapters. But look, then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree. Tree, figs, right? Fruit, tree, we're there, in his vineyard. And he went to look at, at it for fruit, and he did not find any. So I planted a tree. I needed fruit. I didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, three years now, not, not one year, not, not two years, three full seasons. Now, I have looked at this tree, and I have waited for a fig, and it is figless, all right? It, it has no figs. It is only a Newton. It is not a fig Newton. It is, it is without, okay? No fruit and cake, just cake, all right? For three years now, I've been looking for fruit, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Not work on it. Not try. Cut it down. None of us. None of us want to speak of a God that when we do not provide, even though he gives us all the time in the world, the fruit of his spirit, he slices us off. He ends us. Tonight your life will be demanded of you. Most of us don't want to talk about that God in church because that God doesn't get crowds. But God is in his perfection, perfectly merciful and Perfectly just. Why? Because what is it when the root says apple but the tree produces banana? What do we call that in society? When we say we're one thing and our fruit is something completely different. What is it? Hypocrite. The essence of hypocrisy is saying I'm an apple tree and producing anything else. The essence of spiritual hypocrisy is calling yourself a believer and having any fruit that is the opposite of what I'm going to read in a minute, which we'll get there. 
But hypocrisy is the reason that believers or non-believers even more run from or stay away from Jesus. So if there is a hypocritical individual who says he's a believer but doesn't live like a believer and there are a hundred people who will not come to Jesus because of that, Jesus says, that not only makes me sick, I need to cut it off. Craig, the Bible doesn't say that. It absolutely does. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, but because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. The vomit of God is the hypocrite of spirit. And it says why. Because you do not realize that you are poor, pitiful, wretched, blind, and naked, that people do not come to me because of you. I counsel you to buy from me gold. Take my salve. And I'm not mean, but I have to call it like it is. And then he says, but I will always be right there at the door, knocking, waiting for you to become all I would have you to be. Waiting for me to fill your spirit up with all of the, what do we call them? Fruits of the spirit, right? Thus, by their fruits, says Matthew, you will recognize him. And what is that? Says Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot find a problem with those nine items. Nobody says, you know what? I just don't want peace. No love in my life, none, 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 no, no love. No love. What is the opposite? Well, the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit are hatred, sadness, conflict, impatience, meanness, evil, unfaithfulness, overbearing, and no control. anybody say that I described America over the last 8 to 12 years? Interesting. Interesting. We are all of those things. We really are. Here's the problem. Do you know what we want to do? We want to request that everyone around us gains the fruits of the Spirit of God without allowing them to have God. We want to see the fruit from them, but they don't have the, the root. I was explaining to the people at 9 a.m. that I, I, I had a revelation. I was talking to, to Tim on the phone just two days ago. I'm walking around Sam's Club, and we're just talking about things, and I up and said, yeah, we were just... Again, talking about things, and I said, listen, I said, I, I believe that there's a verse that, that, that all of these pastors and all these people have been drawing out for our nation. 
You know, ask and I will give the nations to you. What needs to happen? If my people are called by my name will humble themselves, if the nation will just turn and bow down to God, then God will forgive them and he will heal their land. And so we've run with this analogy. We've run with this assumption that if, if the United States of America would turn and bow and humble, then God's going to heal us. And I'm going to say right now something that may upset a few of you. That is not what that verse says. Absolute ignorance. But here's what it says. Are you listening? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Do you know what the problem is? The people who have the roots aren't showing the fruits. You want to heal the land? Starts with me. I am God's people called by his name. They're not. And I cannot expect them to live as such. So revival will not happen in America until revival happens in the believer. Change will not happen in the United States till change happens at NBC. Change will not happen in Jessamine County till change happens in people who have Jesus Christ in their heart so that he can emanate all of the fruits of who he is. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Where did that come from? I am the vine and you are the branches. I am the root. I make your fruit. And it will never run dry. All right, Craig, all that's well and good. I get it. You have beaten this analogy to a pulp. What do we do about it? I'm glad you asked. You put your steel-toed boots on, and you allow God to hammer down. Because here's what he looks at, a group of people who have been following him on the plain at the bottom of a mountain and says. And if you realize exactly what he's saying here, it will bother you. Most of the time we skip right through it because we're waiting for the next part. A little kid song is the next part. Listen to me. He looks out at the church and he says, why are y'all calling me Lord? Why, why are you going to call me Lord and not do what I ask? Seriously, call me Jesus. Call me friend. You're lying, but call me friend anyway. Just don't call me Lord. I've said this more than once in this church. Calling Jesus Lord requires a change in your vocabulary. You have to rid a word from your vocabulary. You've either got to get rid of the word Lord or get rid of the word no. You can't have both. Period. If you say no, he is not your Lord. He is what the bumper sticker says he is, your co-pilot. And life will not work that way. Most terrible bumper sticker in the history of bumper stickers. I, 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 do, I would like to share my favorite bumper sticker with you. I'm going to. My favorite bumper sticker I have ever seen in the history of the world said, very funny, Scotty. Now beam down my clothes. That was my favorite. But God is my co-pilot, not so much. But see, that's what we're doing, church. We're twisting and turning and shaping God to match our beliefs and our will and our desires instead of allowing him to shape us into his. And he would look at us with love in his eyes and say, I hear all the songs you're singing about my lordship and how awesome I am, but um, mm, y'all be acting like you don't know me. 
Well, so are they. They don't know me. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, I'll show you what that looks like. They are like a man who builds a house and digs deep down and lays a foundation and the flood comes and the torch strikes and it is not struck down because it's well built. The ones who do not hear my words and put them into practice are like a man who builds a house on no foundation and when the storm comes, it collapses and its destruction is complete. It comes down to this very difficult, extremely simple statement. Hear my words, heed my words, safe. Hear my words, heed your words, crashed. This is the conclusion to his message. I've told you everything you needed to hear. The difference in those who survive the storm and those who do not is very simple. Those who obey me survive and those who don't do not. Period. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built, foolish man built. We've grown up with that song for 30 years, and we all miss the point. We think that that passage is about how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. You know, the foundation, the rock, Peter built on the, not Peter built, that's a truck, but you all know what I'm saying. This is nothing about that. Nothing. It has everything to do with the first, the verse that comes right before the song. He who hears these words of mine and, hearing, puts them into practice. Hearing and doing. Reiterated in James. If you hear my words and then forget them, it's like looking in the mirror and not knowing who you are. You know what Jesus says? He lovingly says, I, I feel like sometimes God sees us as Urkel. Did I do that? He's like, y'all, really? That's what you got? All the teaching, and that's what you got? Sometimes I think Jesus wants to go, Dad, did we do, did we do? No, son, but we love them. <laughs> do you think that God does not pull your grandmother a ton of times? Oh, bless it. I mean, Really? Life in Christ is incredibly difficult and incredibly simple all at the same time. It boils down to this. Do what I say and it all works out all right. Don't do what I say and the storms will ravish you. Here's a good test. Would you call the last 18 months of our lives sunshine or storm? How'd you do? How'd your children do? How'd your church do? How'd your marriage do? How'd your work do? How'd your finances do? How'd your inner person do? It's a good check. Hearing, doing. Jesus says, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. In the immortal words of Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. Let's pray. God, it's, you know, you can stand up here and you got your word, and when you break down your word, it's actually really, really simple. 
It's, it's not hard to preach and to teach. It's just there. And God, I'm appreciative that through my, um, sometimes my, 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 my insanity, my, my, my overzealous self that you continue to communicate clearly through me, but I know in my heart that that's just because your word is way more clear than we've allowed it to be. God, I pray over our congregation, I pray over myself today, <laughs> that we would begin to chew on the complexity of the simple. Those who love me obey my commands. Boom. It is that simple. But God is sinners saved by grace as people born aliens and strangers to this world. We know that there are pests that come to eat our leaves, to destroy our fruit. There are torrents and winds and rains that come to blow the vine around that attack us from all sides. God, help us to root ourselves in you, to produce the fruits of your spirit, and to celebrate who you are into the world so that they might see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and they would come because they desire that fruit, good fruit. If he be lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. That's our job. Follow, believe, obey, and great things happen, and the house stands. God, I pray this over all of us in Jesus' name. Amen.